We're in the middle of a series uh, at the moment that we're looking at week by week. It'll take us just to the beginning of Lent. And uh, we're looking at uh, the role of the Holy Spirit and um, the way that the Spirit, the, the Spirit of God that was there at creation and will be there at the end. He, he appears in the second verse of the Bible telling us that the Spirit oversaw the whole of creation. And in the last few verses of the Bible, the Spirit invites everyone who's hungry and thirsty to come. From beginning to end, this world, this earth, is filled with the presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we've just been looking, and so we spent some time looking uh, the first week. Um, that invitation, what's the Spirit saying to us? The invitation to come and to receive from Him. The Spirit, last week we looked at this invitation to live that way that the Spirit breathes into us. And in Adam and Eve, in the garden, all the way through to the church at Pentecost, this idea that the Spirit breathes in. And, and that brilliant idea that for you and I, who want to follow Jesus and we want to do things that actually make sense in, in our own everyday lives... It's not that we're trying harder, but actually the Spirit is so committed to us. The Spirit of God is so committed that He comes and He lives within us. The Spirit is closer than our own breath. Today I want to look at the Spirit says create, and then we'll look at speak and act and change. But today it's that whole idea of the Spirit says create. And if you have a Bible or you're near enough to reach for one, can you turn with me to Exodus chapter 31? Exodus is the second, uh, second book in the Old Testament, uh, so it's really early on. But uh, Exodus chapter 31. The book of Exodus really can be summarized very quickly as the account of how do a people get out of Egypt and then end up in a promised land. And the first part of Exodus is all about them being in the wilderness and how in the middle of a wilderness, God actually is creating a people. And then the other part of Exodus is really where God is giving the instructions to them, how might you worship in the middle of wilderness? And essentially, one of the big parts of Exodus is a long description about how to make a temporary dwelling for God, a tent. And, and a lot of Exodus is about how to do that. And then, then you repeat it all because then a lot of Exodus is just saying, and we did it but going into great detail. That's essentially what Exodus is about. But in the middle of it, you just get glimpses of what God is doing. And chapter 31 is one of those glimpses. The Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skill to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I've appointed Aholiab, son of Ahizamak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Are you impressed? Also, I've given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law with the atonement cover on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, 
both the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. Then if you flick over to chapter 35, uh, verse 30 onwards, um, you have exactly uh, the same, almost exactly the same words repeated. Um, the only difference here is that these people were, a Bezalel and a Holiab, were able to teach others. In verse 34, it's exactly the same words otherwise, he has given both him and a Holiab the ability to teach others. So this is, this is I, I mean, in some sense, this is really quite interesting because this is only the second time that really the Spirit of God is being talked about in the Bible so far. And it's in the context of a man called Bezalel, who's a master craftsman. He makes things out of stone and wood and, and metalwork, and he makes things of beauty. It may not necessarily be the sort of thing that you would expect the Spirit of God to be tied to. When we talk about the Holy Spirit in context like this, we kind of expect it to be about church stuff. We kind of expect the Spirit of God would be on, you might hope, on preachers or on worship leaders. You might hope that the Spirit of God is there with you when you're doing something for God, as it were. But it's really interesting that here in Exodus, very early on, the Spirit of God is upon someone who creates things like that. Creates beauty. In fact, it's, it's even more pronounced. In Proverbs 3... When the writer of the Proverbs is explaining about how God has made creation, he says this, By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. It's a way of reflecting on creation, that that's how God has worked, the writer of the Proverbs says. By wisdom, by understanding, by knowledge. That's how God has created our world. Let's go back to what we read. See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Ahura, etc. I filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skill. It's the same triad of words, the same three phrases. So the way that God has designed creation is what happens when the spirit comes on Bezalel. He kind of mirrors the way God has done things. But where? Not in church, but actually in the middle of a wilderness, creating something of beauty. What was Bezalel and the rest of them doing? Well, firstly, they were creating something for other people. God had put the Spirit of God on Bezalel so that they might create something for others to receive. Secondly, in the middle of the wilderness, they were bringing order out of chaos. So where there was just wasteland, the Spirit of God was saying to people like Bezalel and those who did embroidery and those who made furniture and those who could work with metal, can you bring order and can you create something of beauty 
in the midst of wasteland. And then, can you do it as worship? Can you do it as worship to God? Because that's the other thing, isn't it? When we talk about worship, you know, and uh, uh, when we introduce uh, on a Sunday morning, we'll often say, we're going to begin by worshipping together. Because we use that sort of language, it's very easy for us to quickly think, well, the way you worship is you sing. And you sing in a certain way. In fact, in our own circles, we've even gone a little bit further with that definition because there's a difference between praise and worship. Praise is quick. Worship is slow. During praise, nobody minds if you talk to your neighbor. But in worship, everybody minds if you talk to your neighbor. Praise, you do with your arms up and your eyes open. Worship, eyes closed, hands up, very intense looking. Now, <laughs> I maybe shoot myself in the foot here. But, <laughs> but all, all to say, what we've done in our church circles is we've taken a word like worship and we've made it mean something very, very small and specific. They're having a great time. <laughs> Everything's fine. No need to worry. Um, we made it very small and we made it very specific. And yet here you have this sense of worship is something else. And the Bible will not have you, will not have you think that worship is just about singing for a certain number of minutes on a certain day of the week. Worship is everything you're involved with. When the Spirit comes upon Bezalel, what they're doing is they're offering it back to worship. So what I want to do next is just ask the question, how's that work for us? Is it possible? Well, the first thing is it flows out of a relationship with God. This is kind of obvious, but it flows out of... That sense of, what's God done for you? When God got hold of you, when Mary said before, um, what did Mary say before? When, <laughs> yes, it was a defining moment in my week. Um, when Mary said before, God has saved us, and, um, and then said it three times because you didn't quite understand the significance of the first time. When God has saved us, actually... That is absolutely true. That the moment you surrender to Jesus and the moment I was kind of like led to a moment where it was like, are you going to follow him? Was the moment that he did save us. He did save me. And uh, that first song we sang this morning about he, he takes our broken hearts or actually better, our broken lives. He makes all things new. I think lots of us in the room would go, yeah, well, we can... We're not, we're not there yet. It's not fully. But actually, that's what God has done. He's taken our lives and the brokenness he is in the midst of repairing. Not fully yet because there's eternity for that. But he is repairing. He is putting things back together again. But he does it not simply so you might have a better life. He brings you into his kingdom that he might use you for his purpose. The old-fashioned phrase was, you're saved for a purpose. So actually, when the Spirit of God comes upon us, and when you're in these contexts, it's much easier sometimes to be praying, Holy Spirit, come and rest on us. Actually, what's that for? Not simply that we might feel better, but actually that we might be used for God's purpose. 
So what does that look like? What does it mean to be used by his purpose? Well, you certainly have the opportunity to be used by God if you're a hairdresser. Because what you're doing, and one might want to go along the line with Bezalel, if the Spirit of God came upon Bezalel so he could create something beautiful, what does it mean if you're a hairdresser? Well, uh, when you're a man, you get to a certain age where hair is uh, a, a memory. Um, and, um, <laughs> and so it becomes less of an issue. <laughs> it becomes less of an issue as you go. So when I go around the corner to Foxy and pay my five pounds, which I think is good value, um, you know, we have a chat and that's the end of it. But I know, but I know that for some of you in the room, I'm not asking you to tell me, but some of you will have had your hair cut before and you will have come out and cried. I didn't, you didn't need to tell me, but it's interesting to see. <laughs> you will have cried. Richard, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you will have cried. Why? Why? Because actually, what they've done for you is so much about who you are. So what does it mean to be, have the Spirit of God upon you if you're a hairdresser? Well, you're not clearly, you're clearly not just cutting hair. You're actually ministering in a way that allows the person that you're doing that for to say, actually, this is who I am. This is who I long to be. The sense of doing it lovingly. We're called to love God and we're called to love our neighbor. One day Jesus is asked, what's the, what's the most important thing I can give my life to? He says, it's those two things. You love God and you love your neighbor. How do you express that? Well, you have the opportunity if you're in service industries, in IT, if you're in office work, if you deal with spreadsheets, you bring order out of chaos. And actually, if you're in the role where you have to help other people make sense of how, how does this work? You know, for some people in IT, if you're in IT and some of you are, you know, you have to deal with people like me when I ring you up and say, how do I make this work? And you have to say to me, have you switched it on? <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I think so. And you have to talk me through. But the way you deal with the requests that come across your desk, the way you choose to serve, and for the Christian IT worker or for the Christian accountant or for the Christian who deals with spreadsheets, who are these people who are requesting things of you? Are they a nuisance? Are they an annoyance? Are they just thick? Possibly. But how do you see them? Because you're called to love God and love your neighbor and the spirit of God dwells upon you. So it gives me new lenses on those I serve. It certainly is possible to see what the Spirit of God might want to do if you deal with people's feet. If you're in that area of healthcare. 
Now, some of you are just shuddering. I mean, I don't know what it is about feet that you've all got them. And yet you're shuddering as you look. But those of you that deal with feet, part of the reason is, you know, there's a stream of churches where uh, as part of their regular worship, they will wash feet. Um, you know, in the same way as we would have communion week by week, they would wash feet week by week. It's called the, the, the church of the clean feet. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, I know that for many of us, you know, even the thought of it, some of you are going, mm, I'll never, never join that sort of church. Um, I, think, I think we've solved that seating problem. We'll just wash feet. The reason is because, of course, because, of course, some of you will say, oh, my feet are really ugly. My feet are really ugly. Some of you will say, I don't want a stranger touching my feet. It's almost like it's too intimate. Or you might just say, I'm ticklish. But the idea of someone coming so close to you. So if you're a spirit-filled podiatrist, you're certainly able to reflect something of God's care as you do it. Those of you that cook for others, that take ingredients and combine them and your creative the wrong thing to show and careful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go back there for a minute. <laughs> Where's the fry bread? Where's the hash browns? Yes, okay, you're a, you're a demanding lot. Um, now, in one sense, food is just fuel. Food is just fuel. It's just sort of like a way of making sure you get through the end of the day and you're not, you know, go three days and you're being a mess without it. But actually, you know it's more than that. You know that actually, you know, and I, I, uh, I just took this picture. I could have taken many more. But, you know, sometimes when you go to places and they've prepared it in such a way that actually even such a basic meal as that... You know, I think if it was me, I'd probably have everything in a kind of pile. But the mushrooms are laid out separate from the bacon, which is just placed carefully there, and the tomatoes there, etc., etc. Someone's taken some care over it. And if that's your area, if that's what you're good at, you must get really irritated. I, I, I just full stop, actually. But... Um, I worked once with a guy, Keith Warrington. Some of you might know him. You might remember he's been to the church. And uh, Keith had a very strange way of eating. What he would do is he, he would just cut everything into very tiny pieces to begin with and then mash it all together. It was like, it was like the stuff you'd do for your kids, you know? Um, and and if, if, you're a, if you're a cook and you do that, that must be really irritate you. Because you've taken care about how you present something. Because it's something of beauty. Because you've created something. Because you've spent time over it. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit who oversaw creation, is the Spirit involved in the way we cook? Well, Bezalel would say absolutely. If he's bothered about the way I do a, a bracelet, he's definitely involved in the way I cook. He's definitely involved in the way I look after feet. Definitely involved in the way I do a spreadsheet. Definitely involved in the way I would cut hair. Definitely involved in the way I might teach children. 
in ways that make them believe they can achieve so much more than they might. Teachers who understand and offer love to those that are cared for. What about those of us who feel we just do stuff and nobody notices? The office cleaners who are there when no one else is there. The office cleaner who gets there at 7 a.m. in the morning and leaves at quarter to eight in the morning and then arrives at 6.30 and leaves at eight and there's nobody else around. What does it mean to be a Christian office cleaner when the Spirit of God is upon you? Well, this perhaps more than most are one of those areas where you serve and you serve well because no one's watching. Because no one's going to thank you. And it's interesting what Paul does in some of his epistles when he's writing to the churches. Even in short little letters, he's really keen to talk to those who are employed and sometimes employed in ways that really don't have any dignity. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. So serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do, whether you're slave or free. What's Paul doing? He's saying, actually, whatever you do, you can dignify what you do by offering it to God and saying, actually, I'll serve for you. And what Paul suggests is, you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do, whether you're slave or free. It's almost like at the end of time, when God is saying, let's just talk together about what you did with the gifts I gave you. When the Lord, when we meet the Lord, and when we're judged, we'll be judged on, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you serve my purpose with the gifts I gave you, and the opportunities I gave you, and the circumstances you were in? And I suspect that people, such as the office cleaner, who cleans to the glory of God when no one's watching, and they don't take the shortcut, and they don't get annoyed because the coffee cups are left out yet again, but simply serves and says, I'm doing it for you, will be rewarded. It seems to be the way the New Testament speaks. It's what happens when we offer our work back as worship. When we work to the Lord, whether it's in looking after children, dealing with difficult families, making films, making music, it becomes holy because we offer it back to him, writing an essay, teaching a class, mopping a floor. And when I was thinking about it, I thought, actually, probably where you see it happen most often is in football. This is uh, the back of a guy called Kaká, um, who has been um, a Brazilian uh, Absolute world-class footballer, one of his generation. Brilliant, brilliant uh, footballer. Scores lots of goals, he's, he's amazing. And every time in a match, 
Sometimes when he has scored a goal, but certainly at the end of a match, he'll take his shirt off and it'll say this. I belong to Jesus. Now, Jesus is really pleased that Kaka belongs to him because Kaka's very good at football. Um, I think if it had been, you know, anyway. Um, but you see it actually, and I'm intrigued by this. You see it increasingly on the football, professional football field, where young men, mostly under the age of at least 30, but lots of them under the age of 25. In other words, it's not the demographic you, you would expect. These are young men in a very kind of glitzy world. But when they score or when they win or at the end of a game, they will indicate we want to give God glory. Now, some of you might get, get a little frustrated with professional football, and I would understand why, because of all that it is. But actually, it's this simple idea. This guy, Kaka, when he scores a goal and he celebrates like that, he's just doing his job. <laughs> it's like every time you get a spreadsheet fulfilled, you rip your shirt off and it says, I belong to Jesus. <laughs> Every time, the, we're not going to go down this line too far, don't worry. <laughs> Every time good coffee served in the vine. Never. <laughs> You'd be pleased to hear. Um, you know what I mean? It's like every prisoner that you deal with well, you come out of the office going, yes, it's for you. Of course, it sounds ridiculous, and it is ridiculous in some ways. And yet, actually, I suggest that what they're doing is what the Bible suggests that we do regularly. Now, most of us don't live that exciting a life. But all of us are involved in work. Some of us get paid for it and others don't. But all of us are creating something. All of you are looking after someone. All of you are doing the work that actually is a, a, a means of you demonstrating, firstly, that you're called to love others. And that changes the way you see them. You're all called to bring beauty and order in a wasteland. And you're all called to offer your work as worship to the Lord. Bezalel, the Spirit of God, filled Bezalel and Bezalel created. And at the end of his life, one might have asked Bezalel, okay, Bezalel, what was, you know, this spirit of God, what, what, did it, what, were the out, what was the outcome of it? And he went, you see that jewelry? That's the outcome of the spirit. You see that furniture? That's the outcome. That I created something that I was gifted at anyway, but when the spirit of God came on me, it was so much more. You expect the spirit to come on Jesus and for Jesus to preach good news to the poor. You expect the Spirit to come on Jesus and for him to bring liberation. You expect the Spirit of God to come on worship leaders and the rest. But actually, the Spirit of God who fills you this time tomorrow. Bezalel, a man filled with the Spirit. There's a prayer. And I want to use this for a moment. 
it's a request to God. Holy Spirit, fill me so that my work can be offered to others as an act of love and to you as an act of worship. May my work be touched by the creativity of your spirit that, the mean, the world, that means that the world is able to be a more beautiful place in and through the name of Jesus. Well, I'm going to pray that in a moment again. But I'd also like to um, offer a time when we can actually pray for you. For you, that, and, and it's really specific, it's for you in your daily lives who actually find either your workplace or the place where you serve others a real struggle. And you would love to have that sense of the presence of God who would fill you for your workplace. That you might indeed bring order. That you might indeed be able to demonstrate love. That you would, you would be able to offer it as worship. That somehow, not that the situation would necessarily change, but that something in you would change. And you might be aware of seeing the same situation through different lenses. And um, so with that embarrassment, if you would like us to pray for you in that sense, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are. You know how this sort of stuff works. This week it might be you standing. Next week it will be somebody else. But for those of you that in a work context, you go, actually, I just need the Spirit of God to fill me again so I might work for the glory of God. If you'd like us to pray with you, then just stand. Holy Spirit, fill us so that our work can be offered to others as an act of love. And Lord, I want to pray for these that are standing who might struggle with the others. Struggle with the relationships that they have to deal with in their everyday work contexts. I want to pray for those who feel that they are beaten down sometimes by the unrelenting demands that seem unreasonable. Lord, I pray for them that your spirit would give them stamina to continue to love those that they work with. I pray you'd fill us so that our work can be offered to you as an act of worship. Lord, that we won't look to you just as someone who can get us out of a situation that's difficult, but actually that our very work, the work that we do that's full of challenge, that's full of difficulty, Lord, we offer it back to you. So Lord, we commit to working well. I pray that you'll help us to work well when people are watching and when no one can see. I pray that we'll work well when we're doing something that's just in the groove for us and the stuff that we have to do that we find so difficult because it's not the way we were made. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us with our work when we feel really fulfilled. But Lord, possibly more, that we'll offer it to you as worship when we really find it difficult. Lord, may we offer you our work. And Lord, may our work be touched by the creativity of your spirit. Lord, I pray that on the days when we are stuck and we don't know what to do next, 
Lord, that you would unlock our imagination. I pray that, Lord, our work would be touched with the beauty of your spirit. That, Lord, in the things that we do, from the everyday stuff like making a meal, to doing a spreadsheet, to serving customers, to dealing with uh, complaints, to dealing with inquiries, Lord, the way we do it would be sort of in some way would be touched by your spirit and the spirit of creativity. That means we don't have to go through the same ruts that everybody else might find themselves in. And so, Lord, what we're praying for are words to say that help and heal. We're looking for attitudes that are encouraging and don't criticize. And we're looking, Lord, for our own heart to be kept from bitterness and from that fragility. Lord, we look for creativity. We pray it in order that our world might reflect your glory, that this world might be a more beautiful place. The Lord, in our offices, in our workplaces, in our voluntary organizations, in the places we find ourselves, Lord, that we might be able to mirror something of the beauty of creation. Lord, we ask you to come and fill us with your spirit for this world and for our worlds. Lord, help us to be sensitive to what you're doing and know how to respond. We ask it in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.